All I need to do is worship. All I need to do is say His name out loud. All I need to do is lift my hands, surrender, and bow down. seated. Thank you, worship team. Can we give them a hand for leading us into the presence of the Lord? Hallelujah. About three months ago, Pastor Ryan placed an ad on a couple of websites advertising the position of senior pastor at Emmanuel Church. About 75 or so resumes came in, and in the first round, about 45 to 50 of those resumes were eliminated simply because looking at them, uh, we could tell that they were not a good fit for Emmanuel or they were not qualified or underqualified. In the second round, the search committee, which I was a part and eight others, led very ably by Pastor Ryan. And if you're listening, brother, we miss you already. 
uh, looked at the remaining 25 or 30 resumes, read the resumes and read the questionnaires that were sent and the answers that were given, and spent considerable time listening to sermons and excerpts from sermons. Uh, the search committee did a wonderful job, a, a committed job, and um, we're thankful for that. At the end of that time, there were five resumes that remained, five applicants. So interviews were scheduled with each of those. Uh, one of those applicants dropped out before the interview, so then there were four. And so we spent an hour and a half to two hours with each of those applicants, interviewing them uh, as a search committee. And at the end of that time, there was one man left standing. And he's here with us today. So we are very, very pleased, and I'm excited to welcome Daniel and Alexandra Nelms. Uh, we had the privilege of spending time with them yesterday and having them and their four of their six children with us at our home, and it was a real blessing. So uh, before we ask them to come, they're going to just share. Alexandra's going to share briefly, and Daniel also just a, a hello, a greeting, whatever they want to share before he preaches the message. Just a little humorous story. I asked Daniel if I could share this this morning. He really didn't answer me, but I'm going to share it anyway. When we were talking about a week and a half ago or so, a couple of weeks ago, I was his contact person after Pastor Ryan was preparing for his move, and we talked numerous times on the phone. And um, I shared with him how it's my heart uh, when, Lord willing, I retire at the end of October to give a lot more time to serving the Lord here and uh, being in the office, and if he, is a pr if he is affirmed next week, working alongside of him. And he replied, wow, that would be great. It'd be great to have an experienced old guy to work alongside of me. But I'm still voting for him next week, just so you know. Let's give a warm welcome to Alexander and Daniel Nelms. It is an honor to be here. It was really hard just to sing and not get choked up. It's been months since we've been in the public worship service. And uh, there's a reason why the Bible says, do not neglect meeting together. And um, wow, just what a precious time of worship that was. Um, uh, to keep this brief, I'm sure I'll have time with each and every one of you in the oncoming weeks, if the Lord wills. We've been married for 12 years. And we have six children, and I've been in ministry for about 10 years. We met at Cairn University, Biblical, Philadelphia Biblical University, it was called when we were there. And it was our heart's desire from that first conversation we had that immediately after, I said, I gotta marry this girl before somebody takes her because she is a keeper. And we, um, we just shared our love for ministry and said we want to do whatever the Lord calls us to wherever that may be. And that's what's drawn us together from day one. And we've had a lot of fun the past uh, 12 years and 10 years in vocational ministry, experiencing a lot and growing together a lot. And, uh, but she's always my better half here. So um, she, you know, I just, I love this woman so much. I'm just happy to be here with her this morning. So, um, but yeah, it's a brief, I guess, intro. Do you want to share anything with, okay. Hi, I'm Alexandra. Uh, I feel honored to be here. Uh, about in January, um, we both felt like it was time to move on and just praying what God would have for our family. And 
Daniel was even looking at some jobs that weren't pastoral jobs, but as I was praying, I just really kept praying that God would use our family. Uh, my kids love when we have people in our home. I love having people in our home. And um, that was my biggest prayer was God just let our family be part of another family and use our family. So even though I'm praying my husband could get a job, I really want our whole family to be used. And we've been tuning in the past couple weeks to your guys' virtual service, and it was really neat to hear Mel's testimony um, as being a wife that will be moving away from her family with children, and hearing her testimony about how you guys all came alongside of her and just helped take care of her kids and helped with their family and just meeting all of you that I've met so far. You're all so loving, and I can tell that this place is a place where people feel like family, and yeah, I'm just so thankful for that, so. All right, is that, is that it? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wanna move this over here. Okay, thank you, thank you. All right, well, this is a, it's a rather unique sermon to prepare. Um, a pastor's first sermon at a potential church he's called to. It's, it's a strange one to prepare for. Uh, also, that I have not been in the public worship setting for months. The last few sermons I've preached has been to my iPhone, which was a strange experience. We're also still caught in an epidemic. Uh, we're also, as a nation, facing old demons afresh. There is so much going on. And how, in my shoes, you know, do I prepare a sermon like this? Well, I shared this with some of the elders. Uh, I was laboring in prayers, saying, Lord, what should I preach on? What is the word you want me to, to share with this church? And um, I actually had a dream that I was standing right here. And my hair was even cut, which actually happened yesterday. <laughs> so I'm not looking like the wolfman up here. And uh, I preached out of a specific text, which was found in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. And it's a passage that I have been mulling over for uh, quite a while now. And I just took it as a sign from the Lord and said, yep, I'm running with it. Thank you, Jesus. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. Now, it is a perhaps a perfect portion of Scripture for this unique occasion as we begin this potential relationship with uh, me being the lead pastor among the rest of uh, high-quality elders that you have here, that you're blessed with it, Emmanuel. What a better place to start than the foundation of our faith, the foundation that we must continually return to, the very foundation that Paul, the author of 1 Corinthians, always reminded his churches the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Through spirit-filled unction, deep prayer, passion, and also imaginative creativity, Paul and the other apostles reminded their churches continually that their salvation is born from the gospel. It begins with the gospel, as the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Our lives are shaped by the gospel. Just as Jesus came to, not, came to serve and not to be served, the Spirit earnestly wants to shape us and mold us to be like Jesus, to live like Jesus. And even our future is wrapped up in the consummation of the gospel when Christ returns to make all things new. The gospel is everything. The good news should still be good news for you and I years and decades after we heard it. If we lose the desire to hear the good news, inevitably our Christian life will have as its aim things that are not Jesus. 
left with a form of godliness which has no power. So Emmanuel, as we begin this potential relationship this morning, let me remind you of the gospel which you have received. Let's read this text coming from 1 Corinthians 15. This is the word of the Lord. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the Twelve, and he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me." For I am least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. So whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and you believed. You might be familiar with Paul's dramatic story of conversion. He was a Jew, a Pharisee, in the likeness Uh, a zealot really for Judaism and a likeness of Phineas or Elijah in the Old Testament, finding Mosaic justification for violently persecuting those whom he thought were corrupting God's law and God's people with this strange new message of a Jewish rabbi who rose from the dead after being condemned for blasphemy by his own people and condemned for insurrection by the Romans. Yet upon Jesus' appearance to him on that fateful day on the road to Damascus and upon his own personal reading and thinking as well as discipleship for more seasoned Christians around him, Paul in this text identifies the gospel as something he received from others. And he has thus been telling and sharing with others, including the Corinthian church. And so they also received this message This gospel, says Romans 1, is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. Paul, after encountering the risen Jesus physically and receiving this good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he believed. And he devoted himself to Christ, the Christ, the Son of God. No, Christ is not Jesus' last name. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah, our King, and our Lord who has received all authority in heaven and on earth. And as soon as Paul received this and was baptized, he then immediately began calling on others to receive this good news, calling them to believe on Jesus and to receive the salvation from their sins unto new life imparted by the gift of the Holy Spirit. This message was not only received by the Corinthian Christians, but also by Christians in the region of Galatia, ancient Judea and Jerusalem, as Peter and Philip saw to their shock and surprise, it was joyfully received by the half-breed Jew and Gentiles in ancient Samaria. It was then received by many Greeks in Thessalonica and Philippi in the Galatia region. This good news was even something that those in the epicenter of the Roman Empire in the city of Rome itself received, and even some in Caesar's household received. The gospel was then carried to the utmost ends of the earth. It was received in Spain, Britain, Ireland, Scotland, Africa, Brazil, Latin America, China, Japan, India, Canada, America, New Jersey, Delaware, Wilmington, 
The good news of Jesus Christ has been told and shared for thousands of years throughout the globe, leading billions to receive the same thing Paul received and the same, all then sharing the same mission that he and so many others in Christ has asked us to partake in today. The gospel thus is the core message of our faith and without it, Christianity has nothing and is nothing. So like Paul, I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, of what you have already received. And according to the reports that I have heard from your elders, what you have held fast to through thick and thin, through trial, through pain, through suffering, through bearing one another's burdens. Through the storm, you have clung to Jesus. And as he promised to do, perhaps even more importantly, Jesus has clung to you. So let me remind you this morning of what you have held fast to. We get to talk about the gospel this morning. I am so excited. If I get excited, I am sorry. Because it's the gospel. So let's go in. The good news. The gospel is a story of Jesus Christ. As Paul mentioned here, his life, death, burial, and resurrection. If this is the case, and using the entirety of the Old Testament, we can construct from these sacred and infallible and inspired scriptures exactly who Jesus is and why he himself is the good news. Like a beautiful prism refracting in the sunlight, the gospel has many wondrous parts, each contributing to the glorious whole. So let's take this prism and let's shine it around a little bit and walk through this wonderful story. The first part is that the good news is that Jesus was, he is, and he is to come. Jesus has always been. When Moses stood before the burning bush and boldly requested the name of the mighty God speaking to him, he was given the highly philosophic and deeply theological answer from God, I am who I am. There was never a time when he could not say, I am. My children tried to ask me, what is God and how has he always been? And I said, well, he told us, I am. And they're like, huh? You know, he's never not been. They're like, huh? It's a mind-blowing thought, right? Later throughout the former testament of God in our Bibles, the Mosaic law is filled with hints and clues as to God's plural oneness that we've had such a hard time in thousands of years to putting to words, right? The great Shema of Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's, that word one is echad, right? It's one of those Hebrew words that makes you spit if you want to say it right, echad, right? But it's, it's a really unique word because it means one, but it means plural one, all at the same time. And so it's perfectly, you know, okay to translate the Shema to say, the Lord our God, the Lord, they are one because of that. In the midst of plurality, God is one. As Christians, we know that God is indeed now known as the Godhead. He has revealed himself as the Trinity, Jesus himself being pre-existent. He is the Alpha, he is the Omega, he is the A, the Z, the beginning and the end. Through him, the world was created. He is the radiance of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. In the beginning, says the Apostle John, was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This is good news. If Jesus were only a man, then his death was not sufficient to wash away our sins, and thus we are still left in our sins without hope. The second part leads to the next. The good news is that Jesus became a man. As humans were created, it did not take long for us to fall away. We were created to be with God physically, 
Of course, we are not one with God as some religions want to claim today, but rather we are his image bearers, having within us the depths of an eternal longing that can only be filled by the literal presence of God himself. Satan, the great deceiver, the ancient serpent of old, he convinced our parents that God was keeping us back from our potential. And he was withholding things from us by the knowledge of good and evil from that tree. After Eve ate the fruit and Adam sinfully stood by watching and doing nothing and eventually eating himself, not only were Adam and Eve exiled from God's presence, they were also put up against one another in conflict. The curse entered the world, the judgment of death, of sin, of conflict, of a curving inward, as St. Augustine described it, is naturally found within all of us who were Adam's offspring. Yet because God is love, he did not stand idly by. He pursued a specific people on earth, the family of Abraham, in order that through this elect people, he may bring a blessing to the entire world, says Genesis 12. But why? Why would God do this? There's a very famous passage in Philippians chapter 2, uh, 5 through 11, that is it's, it's difficult to put into English. If you have different translations, you may have different nuanced variations because it's tough to get into our tongue. But it's normally it says something like this in our English translations. Though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Usually it says, though he was in the form of God. And that, though, gives us the image that Jesus, high and lifted up, had to display a wondrous and great humility by taking on flesh, leaving his throne, the glories of heaven, and becoming a lowly servant in spite of his divine status. And I think some of that is true, but I've been reading some people much smarter than I'll ever be, okay? And they've been studying this passage and saying, no, 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 I, I think, guys, we're getting something wrong here. And then that word though, I won't get all crazy technical with you, this, you know, above me here, but they're saying that word though really shouldn't, it can be translated differently, you know. And Paul, who wrote Philippians, as he's looking into heaven and he sees our precious Lord's willingness to leave it and to be born in flesh, just like you and I, but we are only to stand in the amazement of Jesus' humility, humility to do so, his humility to leave the comfort of heaven and to come to earth. That's a piece of it. But these guys are saying, no, 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 no. Yes, it could, see, it could say, though he was in the form of God, but we should, we could, and maybe we even should translate it because he was in the form of God. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Because he was in the form of God, he became, um, he took the form of a servant on, being born in the likeness of men. I want to stick with this and preach this for just a moment because I think it just makes this passage pop. It was because Jesus was God that he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking on flesh. It was because he was God that he took on flesh. It is because God is love. Love is self-giving and self-emptying by nature. God is a self-giving God who loves to unleash himself on his people, who loves to give himself to his people. Jesus, not in spite of his divinity, took on flesh, but rather just because he was God, took on flesh. He wanted to give himself to us as the ultimate gift leading to our salvation. That is who Jesus is. He freely and willingly took on the limitations of flesh because he is God. All the sorrows and pain that come with living and dying, 
he saw his close friend Lazarus die. And with great sorrow, he stood among Lazarus' family who were all in mourning and he wept with them. He saw the sin and injustice in Jerusalem and he wept over their hardness and brokenness. He bore our sorrows, the world's sorrows. He knew what it was like to suffer. As the author of Hebrews says, having experienced every temptation that you and I have, also experienced yet unlike you and I. He bore those temptations all the way to the end and remained untarnished and unstained. Why would God be willing to subject himself to this? It is because he is God and he loves us. He did it, says John, because he loves the world. That is who our God is. If you and I are not humbled by this, if you and I are not immediately exposed, right, like a flashlight deer in the headlights, like, wow, I'm really selfish. Wow, I can be so, so self-centered. Wow, Jesus, I need you every hour. I need you, as the old hymn says. The incarnation indeed is one of the most beautiful and wonderful expressions of God's love, and it shapes our lives. I could talk about it all day, but I have to move on. Um, Part three I want to talk about of the gospel is the good news that Jesus died for our sins. In our first Corinthians passage, Paul says the next piece of the good news is that he died for our sins and was buried. This 100% God and 100% man, he lived the perfect human life that you and I were created to live. And yet since the world has fallen, his life was completely up and against all the ways of human existence that we know of in this world. He loved all who came to him, graciously healing them, listening to them, preaching to them, sharing his table and eating food with them. He also spoke, spoke bold truth to those who needed to hear it and even to those who didn't like him, and those who eventually condemned him to death. When he was crucified, most of his followers had scattered. His disciples, they left, they were confused. Very few had really understood what Jesus was saying over and over again. They, they, few, a few understood his mission. Aside from a handful of people, alone, Jesus perished, naked and brutally murdered, hanging on that cross, receiving this substitutionary death that you and I deserve. Friends, if you want to see the devastation of our sin, look to that bloody and awful instrument of death that caused so much incredible suffering that a word had to be literally invented to describe what took place on that cross. It's the word excruciating. It means unbearable pain and agony. The ancient Roman writers could scarcely even write or mention the crucifixion because of its violent and disturbing reality. It was considered taboo to even write about it. Our New Testament stands as the longest description of crucifixion written in the ancient world because for us, it was good news. But in reality, it should have been us hanging on that tree. Why would Jesus subject himself to this? Come down off that cross, yelled his enemies as they mocked him. Yet he withheld that legion of angels. He told Peter to put down the sword, and he chose to keep the nails in his hands, bearing our sins, because he was God, because he is love. Jesus the Christ took on flesh, and he died for our sins. He was taken off the cross. He was laid to rest in a tomb. His disciples were left disillusioned, the world seemed to remain without hope, and all seemed to be lost. But as we know 
brothers and sisters, there's much more good news to be told. Paul continues, the good news is not stopping the tomb. Can I hear an amen? Right? There's no good news if our Messiah Jesus simply died, if his tomb was still with us to this day. The truth that is still shocking to receive and still for so many thousands of years later, even today, serves as that stumbling block. When they hear, you worship a guy who came back from the dead, what are you talking about? Right? The truth that truly in our only hope in life and death, that Paul says, even if, if this part of Christianity, if it's not true, then we are absolutely wasting our time. We're the most to be pitied in this world if this isn't true. There is not a single doctrine of Christianity that would remain standing if the resurrection is not true. Three days later, the tomb was opened, however, and Jesus walked out alive and in glory. Right now, as we scroll through all of our social medias and news articles, for the past few months, our generally peaceful world of modern times has been absolutely rocked by this pandemic. And we've all been shaken, the world has been shaken because we still are in fear of death. It's because death feels out of place. Every funeral I have performed and attended, I stare at that casket, feeling the same feelings over and over again, and it always breaks and it crushes me because I know death, it should not be here. Death does not feel like it should be a piece of our human story because it's not part of God's created order. The news that a man came from heaven, he died for our sins, and he conquered death is the good news that we embrace with all hope. Oh, if this is true, and it is, as we know, friends, then everything changes. And it stands as the only legitimate historical explanation why a small group of nobody fishermen from a remote little sliver of land in the ancient Roman Empire, the very remote and small part, began running around the world saying, Jesus, he, he died and he came back to life and he wants to save you from your sins. It's only true because we see what has happened ever since that message began spreading. And it got so crazy that when Paul was showing up, they said, look, this guy is here who's turned the world upside down because the resurrection was flipping everything up on its head. Right now, says the good news, if you embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior, his spirit will fill you, unleashing this power of the resurrection on you, even now through spiritual rebirth. You can be born again, says the good news, made new even right now. As Paul says with faith in Christ, even now you are a new creation. The old man is gone. Behold, the new has come. And we know that one day we will physically rise with him, just as he did, him being the first fruits of the resurrection. So as we end, come to the end of this sermon, which I could preach for hours, and Jim said I don't have hours today, which is unfortunate, but that's okay. Um, God, through his son Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit, is right now and has been for thousands of years. He's doing something new. He's done it in all of your lives. He's done it in my family's life, and he can do it in this church's life. And that is what we share with people. It's what we share with our neighbors. God has intervened in human history and is on a path of recreating us through the salvation available, through the good news. He is reconciling the world to himself. And for those with faith and loyalty to Jesus, not counting their trespasses against them. 
and even now has entrusted to us this message of reconciliation. This is the good news that we must be continually reminded of that you already have received. Jesus, after his resurrection, he appeared to his disciples, to 500 at once, and last of all, to Paul. And if you read on in that passage in 1 Corinthians, Paul ends his lengthy explanation of this good news um, with the final chapter of the story. Paul says this, I'll read this here, word of the Lord beginning in verse 51 in chapter 15. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor for the Lord is not in vain. He is coming back. Praise be to God. And he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ even now. And as Paul said, therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, be immovable, continue to abound in the work of the Lord because it has not been in vain. And these are the closing remarks I wish to make in this sermon today. Emmanuel, it is no secret that you have been through perhaps the peak of trials and difficulties that any church could possibly, probably ever experience. I've seen lots of sad and difficult things in ministry, but what you have had to face, even with the application of my imagination, I could faintly participate in the sorrows and struggles you have faced here. Yet here you are. You have stood fast. You have continued to abound in the work of the Lord. You remain with your Lord Jesus because he has remained with you. The reason why the resurrection is such good news is not only because he is coming back on the clouds once and for all to make all things new, but even now, the resurrection, by the power of the Spirit of God, is even now making all things new. Even now. In Revelation, when John saw the return of Christ in his vision and the consummation of heaven meeting earth, he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He did not say, I will make all things new, but rather he used present tense language to describe the work that's happening now that will ultimately be completed in that wonderful day that we all anticipate. Come, Lord Jesus, soon. Emmanuel, the resurrection always provides us and equips us with hope. There is hope. For new beginnings here. There is hope for another 150 years of fruitful, spirit-filled ministry at this church. There is hope that even now the sanctuary could be once again packed to the brim with new Christians receiving new life, that all the thousands of lost souls in Wilmington and the surrounding area can find the hope for Jesus even for the first time. That even you and I 
that the Spirit can fall afresh to begin a new work in our lives amongst us right now. There's no circumstances which the resurrection does not provide hope. There is no darkness in which it cannot provide the light of life. And I humbly want to stand here and cast this vision to each and every one of you. New beginnings, however, they can also not be easy. Transitions are difficult, and that's no secret. Uh, for you to receive a new pastor is, won't be an easy thing initially, perhaps, especially coming from the outside. I want to state something that will probably be true. Some of you may not initially like me. You may think I smell funny, act funny, look funny. And that's normal. You won't be the first, okay? All that means is that you and I, we just need to get to know each other, and that will take some time. And I'm going to feel like a bit of an intruder on this loving and tight-knit family, and that's okay. As exciting as new beginnings can be, they don't come with their awkwardness initially. But if we put in the time and labor as missionaries alongside one another, if we keep our eyes on Jesus, loving God and loving our neighbor, laboring together alongside of one another as missionaries called to this city, I truly believe God has amazing and huge and big things in store for this church in a new season of ministry. With a world in turmoil, with many floundering right now for meaning and hope, in crisis mode, Emmanuel, you and I can enter into this next season of ministry at the perfect time with a new fortified faith and hope in the good news of Jesus Christ. Still relying on it for all of our faith, hope, and love, trusting that God is far from done with you. In times of crisis throughout church history is often when the church explodes. So perhaps it just may be the perfect time for us to embark on this together in our unique historical moment that we find ourselves in right now. In summary, Emmanuel, God is not done with you. Please hear me one more time. He is not done with this church. And I know this to be a fact because the Bible said so. Peter says and people are saying, oh, Peter, you're talking about this Jesus, and he's coming back soon. Well, I don't see him anywhere. And Peter said, you know why he's not coming back? Because he wants you to stop and repent and believe on him. That's why. Because he loves you. He's opening up thousands of years of, of a gracious mercy time for the world to keep responding. And that means, it only mean, can mean one thing for you and I. There's a mission still here. Christ's feet has not touched upon this earth yet because he has a mission for you and I. There's people out there. They're hurting they're looking for truth, looking for answers. They're, 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 they're still left like you and I with this eternal empty void, trying to find it and stuffing it with everything else. And just maybe you're the person in their life that needs to look him in the eye or even maybe get down and wash their feet and say, Jesus loves you. If only you knew that. He loves you. He has a mission for us. And the good news ends saying, as Jesus said this, in Matthew chapter, the very last chapter, 28, he says, go. He says, make disciples of all nations. Make disciples in Wilmington, bat baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything I commanded you and know that Jesus has not, will not, nor will he ever forsake you because he is with us to the end of the age. In closing, as the prophet Micah said, right now, Emmanuel, you can look at the face of Satan, your enemy. You can look at the trials and tribulations you've been through, and you can say, rejoice not over me, my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. And so if, I, I pray that we can embark on this mission 
together, sharing in the life of Jesus by the power of the Spirit and loving God and loving our neighbor, spreading and embodying this good news for all in Wilmington and surrounding areas to see and hear. And we pray just maybe that God has a revival in store and plan for the city through this precious church and the churches surrounding us. So in conclusion, now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. May this be the foundation for what God has in store for this new beginning. Let us pray. Jesus, we know your word is true. And Lord, I could faintly think of living day to day with no hope that you are not returning to this world. I could faintly think of living day to day not knowing or believing or embracing that you, you burst out of that tomb. Lord, you, are, you have spent, you've been in the business for thousands of years of turning things upside down in cities and communities all over the world in every tongue and every language and every geographical entity in this globe. You have and are piercing yourself in there because you love this world. You have something in store for this world still, Lord. In your gracious mercy and your forbearance, you have not returned yet because there is still work to do. Lord, it's an honor to stand here this morning. It's an honor to be a minister of the gospel as we all are, Lord. As Peter said, we, we all are priests. We all are ministers of reconciliation. Lord, what an honor to be called to such a mighty task. And Lord, as you stand here in this facility, in this church that has such a long legacy, Lord, we pray that there is bright and hopeful and wondrous things ahead, Lord. That those people who live just blocks away, all the hundreds of people, all the, all the many thousands of people who just live just blocks away, who don't know you, Lord. That they're waiting just to hear the good news. Spirit, go before us. Already be stirring in this community a mighty work that is above and beyond any of our abilities, Lord. That we would see something that would just blow our minds, Lord. We will see just many coming to know you. This baptism will be full of new life, Lord. You see families and people just being radically changed by the good news. So, Lord, in your grace, we pray that these things, these things could come about. And uh, we love you, Jesus. I thank you for these precious saints in this room. They have stood through thick and thin. Their testimony just shines in this room of, of people who love you and have not given up. And, Lord, I thank you for them. I pray a blessing over them this morning, Jesus. I pray this morning would just be a time where they feel just utterly refreshed in your spirit. That they leave here just not just being encouraged, Lord, but knowing that they, that they are called by you, Lord, for, for a great task. And that you individually have something special for them in mind. You love us, Jesus, so much. And we can't comprehend it. We can't comprehend the heights and the depths and the grandness of that love. But I pray, Lord, as, as, as in the songs that we sung as we close today, that we can just catch that small glimpse of your love for us, Jesus. That even now, Lord, as some of us may need a, a restart this morning, Lord. Maybe there's sin on our own people's lives right now in this room that just need to be brought before you this morning. They would grab somebody next to them. They would grab one of the elders here. They would just pray and just release that sin to you, Lord, that now you could watch them anew once again in your grace and say, you are still my son. You are still my daughter. And I have wondrous work for you to do. We love you, Jesus, so much. We pray this in your good name. Amen.
Amen.